As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Perform on the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen, you have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, a podcast about Chicago's Southside baseball team hosted by me, John Greenberg, and old off-season James Fegan. Subscribe to White Sox Business on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check out James's and my work on The Athletic as well. We have a special $1 monthly promotion right now. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Southside. James, you've put down the Mai Tais. You're ready for another podcast. How's it going? Uh, there's like, I kind of slowly transitioned the strength of Mai Tais like over the course of the hours. So like, there's a there's a morning Mai Tai, which is uh, caffeinated and, you know, only like two ABV. And then it kind of slowly cranks up over the course of a, of a Monday. Uh, it's a really good program. All right. Well, speaking of fall down drunks, we have Jason Benetti on the show. Jason, what's going on? So oddly enough, that segue <laughs> is playable. Uh, in 2017, I did Iowa State and Iowa on my birthday, and I got a Mai Tai in the airport <laughs> and tweeted a picture of it and got a text like 10 minutes later from Rick Hahn saying something like, get after it, JB. Happy <laughs> birthday. <laughs> You're like, Rick, don't you have anything better to do? Get off Twitter. Amazing. Twitter's where the scoops are. That is true. Twitter and uh, Reddit. Those old Reddit streams. Reddit right. threads. Uh, so, Jason, what's going on, man? What are you up to right now? Uh, baseball season's over. What's what's a Jason Benetti day like right now? What is a day like? Uh, usually prepping for football. Uh, I watched the entire run of Shit's Creek over the past couple weeks. That was fun. Um, and you know, just, uh, reading and watching the rest of the baseball playoffs and, you know, assorted odds and ends. So last week, were you prepared for the Rick Renteria news? No. Um, I found out when you found out, um, I didn't necessarily expect that it would happen. And I, I actually I was on a Zoom call with a student who was doing a project about Korean baseball. 
And I had my phone away from me and I picked up my phone and I had 11 texts and I was like, what did I tweet? And then I realized that the Sox had made a managerial change. So I, I, I found out when you found out. What, you know, I mean, did you, this is kind of tough, a tough way to, to say, it, but like, you know, the end of the season wasn't great and you're not, you weren't there in Cleveland. You're not there in Oakland. You and Steve are calling games remotely. What did you think about some of Rick's moves? And did you wonder, you know, how those were going to be received by kind of the front office? Because Steve, and we'll talk about this a little more, has been has been pretty open in his tweets about stuff. You know, I, I think pretty honest for given the job. Yeah, you know, I uh I mean, I we were we were pretty clear, both of us, uh, in the one night in Cleveland, I I believe about uh Jordan Luplo's splits against lefties and righties. Uh, you know, Gio Gonzalez facing Luplo, I thought was a was an interesting choice, and we talked about that. Um, uh, I thought it was really interesting at the end of the week when the Wilson Contreras stuff happened, and Rick Hahn went on the score and said, "If you don't like it, get him out," which is kind of the atmosphere that the White Sox had created uh, all of last year through Tim Anderson and through just being a fun baseball team. And so that was that was like the first public signal I had seen that there was maybe some disagreement with what was going on. Um, but I, I still didn't necessarily think that it was going to lead to a to a change. But yeah, I mean, I I've said this in interviews definitely that I think Ricky Renteria's strength was building a clubhouse culture and doing all those things that he wouldn't even let us see in spring training, as you know he would have his daily. Um, whatever the sessions were with the full team to build team chemistry and atmosphere. He was very hush hush about those, but talking to players, I know that there was some team building in all of it. And so when, when Ricky was so, you know, he was very difficult to get strategy out of. And so when you're left with not really fully understanding what somebody did to build a culture, even though you know, it exists, you're left with the strategy that was on the field. And in the final couple of weeks, it, there was some decisions that played against him. So something, because for me, it was a transition in my work to do it. Um, definitely for the first three years that I was on the beat, um, I don't, I definitely didn't write many stories about who pitched the seventh of a close game because it didn't matter. Who cares? <laughs> so <laughs> you mentioned talking about Jordan Luplo's uh, splits. How much different was it to call games kind of knowing that like the decision of like every inning or just like the stakes being raised that all like these kind of moves have an impact that people are really caring about and are really tied into and they're really like plugged into every move that's being made from the, you know, for strategic standpoint. How how much of a transition was that to kind of call games where there's a lot riding on it and, um, you know, you know, you're scrutinizing, uh, you know, as any observer would, um, what's being done. Yeah, I think there are two components to that. Number one, the last couple of years with White Sox fans and with us in the booth, and, and I'm sure you covering the team too, it was all a buildup to the window opening. And the window opened, whether expected or not, uh, this year. And so I actually think fans were sort of getting out their starvation for heightened scrutiny of moments. 
So I think there might have been even more scrutiny this year simply because fans hadn't been able to hone that skill uh, over the past couple of years. There just weren't that many big moments to be had other than in the trade market and things like that. So that's number one. And then number two, I noticed it very early in the year. That game in Milwaukee when Abreu hit that 3-0 laser for a homer, I was exhausted after the game. And Steve and I, for nine innings, we were just like locked in on every moment. And, you know, we've done some sideshowy sort of things in a nine to one game and we enjoy having fun on the air. For nine innings that night, we were locked in on moments and we weren't even there. But there was definitely an increased sense of awareness of every play and every strategic decision. And I, I felt it physically over the course of the season, that it was just, there's there's an extra level of intent with your eyes and with everything you're doing, because as they say in The Wire, all the pieces matter. Yeah, so do you think that goes back to normal next season when this is more expected, or um, when there's 162 and it's not like, you know, every game has this much weight? Because, um, like, if I talk to someone who covers, like, the Dodgers... Like I'm, I'm talking to them about the September pennant race, and they like they barely even care. They're <laughs> like, uh, we're, we'll, none of this matters. It's, they'll be ready by October. Stuff like that. What do you think next season looks like, or do you feel like we'll get used to it, or you'll get used to it? No, I think I think we kind of do it again. I think the sixty will end up feeling like an outlier, but but this is this is the point, right? It depends on the playoff structure, and this is why I think baseball is is probably having internal discussions about lengthening the amount of playoff teams for good. Because when you have more playoff teams, more moments matter. And that's, I mean, that's just true. And they all matter in like this sort of um, artiste kind of way in baseball as a cultural medium and the ballet of baseball, all the moments matter because it's a beautiful game and it's enjoyable to watch. But when you're talking about very practical pennant race, does this moment matter to the standings directly? Fewer of those moments happen when there are fewer playoff teams. So I think it depends on the playoff structure, but I think for White Sox fans, and I don't want to speak for everybody because I think everybody's got a different opinion. I think it's going to be, well, now we're doing 162. Let's see how that feels with a really good team again. Well, I think a big part of next year is going to be, you know, how Tony Larusa handles this young team. <laughs> uh, no, that's it's, my segue. It's an in- adjustment for me, John, to get to get your your sense of humor in person rather than on Twitter. <laughs> like I, I enjoy hearing it, and I haven't heard it in a long time because we're not like downstairs in media right. scrums and whatnot and having side chatter. Uh, so I'm just glad to hear you. Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear you too, buddy. Uh, that you was want to my take over this note. for a couple of weeks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we were just looking for that in, huh? Like you were, you were antsy about that in, James. James is already packed. He just literally packed his microphone up as we were talking. <laughs> James, let's take a little break, and then we'll be back. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. What do you think about this, about the man? I mean, that's the big story, obviously, and that's going to be the narrative next season is who this manager is, what they believe in, how the players react to him, and getting used to someone different. What do you what do you think of the candidates out there right now, including this Tony La Russa talk? Yeah, it's a wide range. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, it seems like in the names that have been mentioned, but I... I think when the Larusa story came out with Bob Nightingale, it was very much like a third grade soccer defense sort of situation where everybody went rushing to it. And talking to a couple people in the White Sox organization, I've been told that there are multiple serious candidates. So the idea that somebody's like head and shoulders above everybody else, that's not what I've heard. And that's um, not what James reported either. Yeah. yeah confirmed. Confirmed. James confirms. Yeah. Uh, so like I this is I this is how I felt when baseball was like trying to get started and like the players and owners were fighting. And then Tony Clark would come out with a statement and right. then Rob Manfred would come out with a statement and it was like daily salvo after daily salvo and it's like cannon fire. I I try to not and this is this does not get you podcast clicks. So like you can edit this out and make it something <laughs> much more sensational. Uh I kind of tend to try to not watch it on a daily basis because I, I do believe rationality and a process is going to happen here. And it's not just going to be like, oh, no, no, that guy. Like, I just I don't think that's how it's going to happen, especially when the White Sox let go of a guy that they talked about quite often as being a long term solution. If you had a pregame session with Steve and Tony La Russa, would you get any words in? I. I, I'm just kind of happy like I watched a lot of Nick at Night as a kid, so I could I could have like cultural touchstones. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey, you guys remember the honeymooners? Let's talk about the Dick Van Dyke show. Um love the Dick Van Dyke show. No, you're right about that. And Nightingale, God bless Bob. He's got great sources. One of the nicest guys you'll you'll meet. In a, in a in a game, you love everyone loves seeing Bob Nightingale, but he he does tend some of his tweets tend to like you know someone's never just a candidate; they're always the top candidate, right? A team's never a guy's never just good; he's a surefire Hall of Famer. So, yeah, and you know, I don't we, I, I don't say I don't say anything that I said to even criticize Bob because no, I, you know, no, I bet somebody said something very similar to that or that to him. I just think it's a matter of parsing through it, right. and he he did his job and I'm sure he did it with, with a source that he believes in and somebody who's real. So like I, I, whose initials I hate, are JR. I, I hate, <laughs> like, I hate saying that because I don't, we have enough people who criticize media roundly and inaccurately that like, it's not a criticism of him. I just don't think that that situation is necessarily what's happening behind closed doors. Was that a shot at dollars and cents? 
uh, it was in no way a shot at <laughs> Thank goodness. We have so many institutions that are under fire that we need to cling to what we have left, like dollars and cents. Is this a Michael Lewis podcast now? <laughs> uh, Jason, I have more obscure questions about your work process, uh, if you're up for it. Happy to. Um, you made me jealous uh, about how much you worked the clubhouse uh, pregame uh, for, like the last three years before 2020 and just like how much you just talked to like every player uh, before the game and, and got like so many like tidbits about like how guys were doing and and what they were up to and, you know, uh, their, their personality. So I was wondering how was this year kind of working without that and how much did you feel that absence of connection uh, and insight just on a, on a daily basis doing your job? God, I miss it, James. If I'm being totally honest, I, it was a great season. Stoney and I had great fun, but man, I just miss getting like, there were times that you can't help but feel detached because you know what you're missing. And I really, truly hope it didn't come through, but it's the part of the job and it's not even a job when you get to do that. But like, I like knowing the people just as you do, like your detail on the beat is exceptional and it's because you know the people and text, yes, and some phone calls and Zoom calls and things like that. I did, but I just like, I just miss asking that one question from the thing that I saw the night before that makes me go, oh, now, oh, okay, now I get it. And, and I, man, it's, it was, it was too bad. And I understand why it happened. And I just hope it never happens again. And I hope we're never in a pandemic again. Like all of that is way, 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 way granular compared to all the stuff we were dealing with. But I really do miss just getting to walk up to somebody and asking that one question that I want the answer to. What was the access like for you guys? Did you get extra Zoom calls or anything like that with players no, or coaches? No, it was, it was the regular Zoom calls. I mean, I had done some interviews preseason on, on Zoom and Skype and like things just to keep Sox fans updated. So I had like 15 minutes that I spent with Garrett Crochet when he got drafted which was awesome. Um, but it was just basically like, if I have somebody's cell phone number, I'd text them. Uh, and if not, then I didn't, I would just hear what was going on in the zoom calls. I was curious what it was like to, uh, call the no hitter. And I'm assuming that you hadn't called a major league no hitter prior to that. No, I uh, my Triple A team got perfect gamed by renowned eighty nine mile an hour fastball specialist Justin Germano of the Columbus Clippers back in the day. Um, Not the same level of thrill, I, I'd imagine. It was uh, it was a modicum less. So uh, yeah, it was. I had never done one before, and it was truly awesome. Like that is the moment. And this is wonky, but you you asked uh, to start down the wonky path. This is the moment where having a director like Dave Turner and the director in a baseball show or any TV show is the one who selects the camera shots. If you go back and watch that game and you see what our camera crew and Dave Turner put on the screen for everybody at home, 
and Lucas is nervous, head bobbing and Red Bull crushing in the dugout and just McCann and the conversation on the mound and everything that came along with it. I was so locked in to the emotion of the players because Dave Turner got us and, and our camera crew got us those looks. That's where a director really shines. And our new producer, Chris Withers, was amazing. He put a bunch of new flex on the show that made it feel bigger. But Dave Turner, our director, was outstanding and is outstanding. And he put so much on the screen that was easily captionable. And I like I forgot at points that there was nobody there. I really did. So like you, you talked about knowing the play. I mean, Lucas is probably one of the most easy to know players on the roster or, or, or possibly in baseball. Did that, um, I don't know, help to counteract the kind of feeling of distance in doing that, just knowing everything about him and what went into, you know, obviously to him to reach this peak, knowing the valleys and, and how he kind of navigated his way out of that. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it was anybody who had just joined the team, it would have been way more difficult because I, I wouldn't have been able to understand what they'd been through. But as you know, it's not, it's not like I'm the only person in the world. Like, like you said, Lucas is very easy to get to know and no joke. Like uh, the, the times we spent during the early part of the pandemic, just like me on Twitch doing play by play of his MLB, the show games, like those are those moments that I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad I did that because I just understand his level of focus. Like I, I would ask him questions while he was playing those games and he invited me to do this. I would ask him questions and he just wouldn't answer because he was so locked in on PS4. And I was like, I'm literally talking to you and you're not responding, but you asked me to be here. <laughs> like, what are we doing? And so to have that understanding of his level of focus was really helpful that night. Uh, quick backtrack. Uh, do you know what Justin Germano is doing right now? Uh, I have no idea. I tracked him down for my 2000. Where are the 2012 Cubs now story last year? And he's a executive for a sales executive for a charter jet company. How about that? Wait, really? Which which one? Do you use one? Victor? Is that your is that your preferred charter jet? Uh no, no, no. I I know one person in the charter jet game, so I was wondering. <laughs> I thought you were gonna tell him be like, yeah, of course. How do you think I get to these college games? No, no, no. My my football <laughs> spotter some weeks is Jim Calhoun's son, Jeff, who huh. is an executive at Wheels Up. That's really cool. Uh, you, I had a question too about the broadcast nitty gritty. What was it like to work with the road cameras? Because you were, you were working with a diff. It's very, I don't know if I, I didn't really see the seams in any of the broadcasts. I, I, I think it's a huge credit to you guys and, and to the Cubs, the Cubs guys that you didn't really notice, but like you don't have the best, you're, you don't have a home camera angle, right? On those road games. Yeah. So what would happen is we had one camera in the ballpark. And Dave would use that camera or Andrew Blaustein when he was filling in would use that camera to cover all the shots that they used that didn't make sense for us. And it was so smooth. And honestly, like I, I had taught a class as an adjunct at Syracuse, like six, seven years ago, that was a TV play by play class. It was a, it was a five week class. 
And because I couldn't, we didn't have a studio where you could like do a real TV tape. I got a DVD from a truck of a friend of mine uh, who's a producer. They gave me a clean feed with only NAD sounds, no announcers. They had the graphics. And my students would go into a studio and do play-by-play. And I sat at the front of the room all the time and was like, you got to give us more energy, act like you're at the game. You got to like get into the, the understanding that you are at the game, like just sort of fake it and get your energy up, make it sound like you want to be there, even though you're not there. And all season long, I was like, man, if I start complaining about anything, what a total abject hypocrite I would be. And honestly, if nobody cares about our situation, they just want to be entertained. Like they want to watch the game. But there was one night in Minneapolis that I struggled. And it was the night that Nelson Cruz hit, uh, not Nelson Cruz. It was a night Encarnacion hit a ball to center that Byron Buxton robbed as a home run. Off the bat, their director, who was a very good director, their director was zoomed in on Encarnacion and watched him for about five steps down the line. So I'm thinking, hero shot, that ball's gone. Well, instead, they were just like getting the color and flavor of Encarnacion starting his trot but I can't see the ball and our all 22 camera, the high home camera, it was like, it was pretty well zoomed out. So I couldn't really follow the ball and what Buxton was doing. So if you listen back to my call, I thought it was gone off the bat and I caught up well enough by the time the ball was caught by Buxton. And, and I just hit our producer and talk back. And I was like, Hey, can you just ask them to stop showing batters running to first base I really would just (laughs) like to see the ball like could we could we see the ball please and that was the only time all year that I felt like our audience got a little bit shortchanged and it was because they were trying to do high level tv and we didn't have another look at it but but it's it's our job to make you not notice that and it's our job to make the fans not care that were a little bit handcuffed because the fans just want to watch the darn game. You have developed, and I don't know, I mean, I'm probably, shamefully, not the most regular watcher of the broadcast. I became much more over this season, uh, but like, you know, when I'm at the game, I tend to watch through the game standpoint, and, and no insult to you and, you and Steve, but um, you kind of developed a home run call over this past year or so. So do you have to kind of weigh, especially when you don't have the best look uh, at the ball and the trajectory of, of when to employ it? Or, or is there already kind of your own separate logic of when's a, when's a, uh, you know, a particularly impactful moment to kind of yell out, you know, bring him home and whatnot? Yeah. Kicking the tires kind of like it. Uh, but I also like, I wouldn't use it in a situation where I, where I don't think it's gone. Like I, I tend to believe that until it leaves, you, you kind of holster that weapon. Uh, so that, that would be, uh, that, that would be my theory on that is like, I'm not going to get into that unless it's leaving for sure. And I like, I don't, I'm not going to use it on every home run, but, uh, and that gives me the leeway to to do it or not do it. 
Well, right. Knowing that you don't use it, I wonder if there, I'm curious if there's like this labyrinthine, um, you know, process of checkpoints in your mind for what, when is a, an, an appropriate uh, time to leave it. Uh, obviously not like quite the 330 foot wall scraper that uh, looks like a fly out to left the entire time. But is there like a, is there a logic to it or is it just a, is a feeling? I think it's depending, it's dependent upon the majesty of the home run. So like a, a 460 foot alloy blast is a, a bit more definitive. I think so. I think so. I think if it looks like a home run that somebody would stand for and go, wow, that's a definitely. And if it's got some um, heap to it, like if it's really hard hit or really gets out in a hurry or really would energize somebody, like I think that's when I would um, deploy the weapon, if you will. You know, how do you handle the tradition? You, you've talked about it a little bit, I think, on this. But how do you handle the transition from like, here's the rebuild. Let's like, let's let's you know, watch this happen and appreciate it in, in real time. To okay, now we've got to hold these guys t- to the high standard. They're a playoff team now, right? It's next year, you know, you'll go into it and say, okay, these are, this is a playoff team. These guys have some experience. Is there something you you know? Do you think about that? Like how the broadcast might change it all? I seriously, I go back to that game in Milwaukee. Like I didn't, I didn't know this season where we were going to be on that, um, on that spectrum, but that game in Milwaukee, John, it was like, I was turning to Stoney and he was breaking down pitch sequencing and it was happening at bat after at bat. And we were both just like really in the moment. And we had this, like after the game, we were both pretty well expended energy wise. And I think that was the game where we both were like, you know what? We just did nine innings of straight, like hardcore nuts and bolts, situational baseball. And I think that if that kind of turned the key and opened the door to what we saw the rest of the year, I think maybe that moment was the time when the Sox sort of heralded, we're going to win one of these games that normally we've been losing where somebody comes back on us and then like we actually clap back. So I think it was actually a pretty rapid fire transition. And I kind of think it happened that night in Milwaukee. That's a different, you know, Steve, especially because, you know, people that have grown up on Steve, obviously starting with the Cubs and then come to the White Sox, you know, he has a pretty high standard for baseball. And I thought I appreciated his criticisms of Rick's strategy, whether it was on the air or, you know, also on Twitter where he has kind of this funny personality where he, he, <laughs> come, he pops in in the morning and tells you what, to, you know, explains to fans what he's doing and what he kind cares about. Kind of like about. Mr. Furley, I think. <laughs> like he shows up and he's a little, he's a little bit like incisive, but he also means well. I, I, I like it. <laughs> It's a little different than Dockage. <laughs> let's oh, say that, God. your other partner. Goodness. All right, let's pause right here and then we'll finish up the show. Do you see a change in Steve and how he's how he's kind of taking and how he took it with Rick? You know, how he respectfully criticized Rick at the end of the season. I think Steve's always been very 
willing to criticize. You said it right, John. He has very high standards for baseball, and I think rightfully so. He is one of the best communicators to ever sit in an analyst chair. And I do believe that there were multiple um, things I saw in Steve that show his range. And like, I don't bring this up because, you know, Hawk went in or whatever. Like Stoney to me is the the reason we have the Ford Frick Award. Like somebody who really dedicated himself to, to the craft of analysis and like the range that he shows. I mean, Stoney sometimes I think comes off as somebody who's a little bit like the Tin Man, right? Like, I think he does that intentionally. But after that no-hitter, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, as we were walking to the elevators, he said, you know, I don't I don't know what's happening to me, but I would love to go downstairs and just, like, tell Lucas congratulations and, like, give him a high five. And... That's not the prototypical version of Steve Stone that we hear from all the time. Mm-hmm. But that, that, was, that was like shocking to me because he normally just sort of shows that in glimpses. But to come out and say that, I, I think was a really cool thing. Um, and I do, I do think he's more rangy than people see. Is that something to, I mean, I guess as a, a broadcast that's for the White Sox fans, that's, um, it's more there's more range to kind of be uh, emotional and so appreciation but certainly for me as a beat writer um i i'm supposed to be more guarded and i would say 98 percent of my reactions that night was freaking out about like who how, who are all the people i need to call and how am i going to write this up but like there's two percent of just like personally like it's, i don't think i'm talking out of turn to say like i like lucas personally like there's happiness for him. Like, is that something you have to rein in uh, while calling that game? Or is that, is that something you can kind of just show out that, you know, this is, this is a good thing happening for a a pretty good person in the sport. Yeah. I mean, that's why I say it here. And I say, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn because Steve would never say that on the air. And that's, that's not something that he would like put forth as a professional opinion, but just knowing him as a person and knowing that it's in there, I think it it comes out more and more uh, as he's around this young team as well. And for me, in terms of doing that game, look, we can talk about objectivity until the the cows that are coming home are blue in the face, right? But like, there's there's not there's not a way to separate the fact that I know the guy, I know his family, I know what he's been through. And I think knowing that makes the situation more vivid. And so I wouldn't want to extract that from my brain in some sort of like men in black light flash situation. Like I would much rather know that about Lucas Giolito and know how important James McCann is to him and know how much he would have strained focus wise even a year and a half ago during that no hitter because i think that's what makes his story universal for people that's not a story about a baseball player doing a baseball thing that's a story about somebody who had to revamp himself as you know and you both know and that's that's a very global idea 
And so I, I want to have known that. Yeah, I think part of like what frees up to kind of like talk about and give him his flowers now is that like, you know, we all watched him stink in 2018 and I yeah. had the right that he stunk and, you know, to have him know that he knew that I knew he stunk and that he owned it. And so it feels like it's it's come full circle now. And as part of that to transition, like um, we all kind of try to, I guess, engage with and en- enjoy what we saw in the rebuild for what it was worth for three years. But now that you were you know, they're clearly kind of coming out of it or are fully out of it. Is this more enjoyable to be locked in on every single pitch uh, than it was to just try to find like little, little burst of sunshine throughout, you know, an otherwise kind of, you know, dreary process at times. Is, is this more fun to, you know, have the kind of stress and living and dying with every moment, even if it takes more out of you, is that level of engagement more enjoyable? I don't want to say more enjoyable. I know it is for the fans, but like 2020 was my 16th year of professional baseball in one regard or another. And you may need air quotes for some of the professional and professional baseball there, but like minor leagues, independent leagues, whatever. I had one playoff team ever in 15 years prior to this season. And I've never done a major league baseball playoff team. And like, I don't know if that makes me like William H. Macy in the cooler or something, but I do think like I I'm very familiar with trying to enjoy bad baseball. And so it it is slightly unfamiliar to be living and dying on every pitch. However, when you're in the minors and it's September and your team's terrible, but you have a kid that comes up from double A that you're like, oh man, he could be the next thing. You sort of live and die with every pitch to him. Like when I had Steven Strasburg in triple A, every time he started, it was a holiday. And then Bryce Harper showed up the next year and you're living and dying with every pitch. So I had done it in bursts. And I think it's a different type of fun, but I also believe that the best people who do this at the highest level are the ones who don't care what the score is. And again, that's axiomatic and belongs on a bumper sticker, but I really do try to live it. I I think when you, instead of saying 15 years, you should say all are parts of two decades. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, the Hawk, uh, the Hawk wave. uh, (laughs) (laughs) All all are parts of two, of two decades in baseball. All are parts of 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Did did Steven and Hawk text a lot during the games? Was that distracting? You know what? They they um they've had some really good conversations, I think. <laughs> you guys should have had Hawk like call in, make it like a call in show during the game. So I did I did a Skype interview, a Zoom interview with Hawk uh, a couple months into the pandemic. And man, was I super excited to hear that his second favorite show is America's Got Talent. <laughs> Walker, Texas Rangers still number one. Walker, that's why I asked. I was like, what's what's number two? And he said, America's Got Talent. And I, I said, well, why? And he started talking about how he used to hate Simon, but now he loves Simon. And it struck me <laughs> that that sounded a lot like his relationship with Joe West. <laughs> like Simon Cowell as Joe West got me through at least a week of the pandemic. That is oh J- Jason. You want, you want to talk about a dream judge panel, uh, the <laughs> Simon Cowell and Hawk Harrelson, the uh, shoulder to shoulder. That would, I, that would, I would, I would watch awesome. America's got talent for that. 
honestly, if the Sox ever had a talent competition, Hawk as judge would be wonderful theater. Oh God, that would be great. Hey, what, you know, coming in this in this season, you know, I'm sure you might have got a chance to watch a Cubs game or two. Do you wish you could dress up in a shirt and tie and a sport coat every night? What is with everybody caring about that? <laughs> Like, Fans man, loved it. Everybody, it, was, it was amazing. I look at Len's mentions. It's and, crazy. I mean, he could he could start talking about like refuting religious principles, and right. people would st- people would still say, "Why are you wearing a tie?" When I wrote, like, I didn't even notice it. I think I was there for the second game, and I or second or third of the. It was the third of the season, and I didn't notice it. And I saw a few tweets on it. So then I wrote something on it and I asked them and, you know, I talked, whatever. And it got me like a ton of subscriptions. I'm not like, and it was like so many people read the story. So then I brought it up again in that survey and it was the same reaction still. I think it's great. I think it shows how much fans care about the broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, two things. Number one, Len and JD are still fun. So anybody who's like, well, they've they've become stiff. Look, please look past the tie. Like, it's not true. But second of all, college football coaches, I asked a college football coach two weeks ago because I keep hearing this. When I was on the high school football beat for ESPN, I heard it a lot from players that they really do make school choices in large part due to the uniform color and the uniform combos. And I finally asked a coach a couple weeks ago, okay, in your recruiting, how much do players care about uniforms? And he goes, a lot more than they should, that's for sure. And... And it's the same with the public about what we wear on television. I, it's really, really, truly remarkable. That's why uh, Eloy said he signed with the Cubs. Was a uh, he liked the uniform? Did he really? Is that yeah, right? when he was sixteen. I mean, I'm sure there were other factors, <laughs> like the money, a million other yeah. factors, but <laughs> I think it might have broke a tie for him. Hashtag broke a tie. But but no, that the uniform stuff with colleges, that's I mean, that's not a surprise at all. I mean, and you can see they've they've leaned so far into it, right? Yep. With like 17 different uniforms and like all the different styles they'll make. It, it's become you know, it, it's it's all marketing. I mean, this that's college sports in general, though. I mean, that's why they have these huge facilities, they're all outdoing each other. It's not because you know, you lift better in like these space age, $20 million weight rooms. It's just cause it's just all marketing for it. Well, we had BYU last Friday and BYU um, had a players council that decided on the, the uniforms from the 1970s. They wore Friday with a, a different face mask uh, in honor of, of the team from the 1970, the teams, the 1970s and the, the, <laughs> But they had players vote on it. Like they went to the AD and they said, let's, let's do this. And they did. So I, it's, it really is very much about players putting their stamp on who they are in some way. And, you know, I, I, wore, I wore a shirt and tie for most of, if not all, the games I do on, on ESPN. And nobody ever says a darn thing to me. But when you do local TV in Chicago right. wearing a suit and tie, boy, oh, boy. It is. It's a local thing. It's a Chicago. You know, I, I think there's something to that. Are you traveling at all? Or are you doing everything from your from your living room? I'm traveling from my bedroom to my living room to do games. <laughs> um, and, and texting other announcers to ask what the press box spread in their kitchen is. <laughs> 
Yeah, are you making stuff? Are you making like special meals? Uh, I am ordering pizza in uh, for the most part, but I do I do my my clutch jam is those uh, ice cream cookie sandwiches at halftime. Do you, do you like practice like waiting in line too? Like do you stand yeah. in line for a second in front of the fridge and then and then get it? <laughs> I pra- I practice idle chit chat <laughs> with people who I haven't seen in a while and I just <laughs> almost can't place. <laughs> Hey pal. Hey, how's it going? As like this is this is where my eyes not both going the same direction can be helpful because I can more easily sneak a peek at somebody's credential. <laughs> That's better. Yeah, that is. It's a vet move. Yeah, it's clutch. What else you got, James? I we I expand I went through all I had like 10 minutes ago. You <laughs> We're just riffing now. Um Okay, what else we got from you, Jason? What else? What are games you doing in the next week that people should watch out for and turn and not watch? Yeah, yeah cool. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be wearing a shirt and tie, so don't watch. Uh, I've got uh, USF and Tulsa. We're doing the Friday night football package for the remainder nice. of the year, pretty much. And uh, so we got that, and I believe it's going to be uh, Maryland, Minnesota, the following week. But the assignments are not out yet. But normally, Friday night uh, football. God, love Compared to where you'd be at preparing or knowing what to expect for next season and just how uncertain things are as a result of not knowing, you know, not knowing what the next day is going to bring. Um, I don't know. Have you reached a point where you'd normally be, I don't know, booked for travel next season or you know, know what your production standpoint would be for next season already? Or is this or is this uh, has nothing been pushed back yet? Yeah, this is this is normally like the uh, the recruiting dead period, uh, where usually I'll take like October and just watch the playoffs and like take in football and really dive into that and get ready for college basketball. And usually around mid to late November, when moves start getting made, I'll really start to dive into research and we'll talk about new things coming up on the telecast. But I, I mean, we we've. Uh, what was I going to say? I just lost my mind. So you, you said, uh, you said you never know what's coming the next day. I don't know what's coming the next minute, uh, evidently, but no, no, we're, this is not normally a time where we'd be doing anything specifically related to next year. So I'm, I'm kind of on a pause situation. Well, what are you going to do for college hoops? Cause that's, that's starting soon. Is it, how are you guys handling, uh, calling those games? You know what? I have not had an official word on that, but I do believe we'll be doing some games from home as well. Okay. Um, I think if, if there's the possibility, they'll keep us regional. And so maybe I'll drive to some big 10 places. I don't, I mean, they did the NBA in a bubble. They've moved some of the tournaments. Like I know Maui's in Asheville this year. So I don't know if they're going to treat those like bubbles, but I'm going to be home for the balance of it, I believe. But I also think like, you know, I've read some stuff about the pandemic and some people talking about like Scott Gottlieb was talking about being in like the seventh inning of the pandemic or whatever. Um, so, you know, obviously the next couple months depend on that too, but I would, I would imagine the balance of my game would come from home at least, uh, that's my understanding of it now, but I've really not gotten any official word. I just know they're sending out some more home kits to people. So I would imagine that that would be a signal that we'll be doing some games from home. 
are you doing any action games? Any Mac games this football I season? I hope so. I hope so. Like I need some Gary Trent in my life. Will you mention me if you do Ohio University? Uh, yeah. All right. I will. I'll there, listen. There are two components to that. Number one, I actually would. Number two, I don't think I'm going to have an Ohio U basketball. Uh, game. No hey. football, I meant. Oh, oh, football, football. No, I, I don't think they'll have me do any midweek to go along with a Friday. But I'm, I, I'm not sure. Too big time. Is that what you're saying? No, no, action on a Wednesday and then like a, another game on a Friday would would be a little heavy. Yeah, you can always just wing it though. They always sound like they're winging it anyway. Nice, nice. And <laughs> and this is where we we talk about our profession as a craft. <laughs> My favorite thing about Maction is when they get you can tell they're totally bored talking about the Mac, and they want to talk about bigger schools because they know no one like no one really. To be honest, like there isn't a lot of interest in like the the nuts and bolts of Mid American Conference. So like the best thing that could have happened to Mac broadcasters last year was when they called OU games and uh, Joe Burrow's dad was there because he was an ex-coach oh, and, he, yeah. and he would be on the sidelines and they were like so excited to talk to him about his son, the LSU quarterback. <laughs> they were yeah, never like... Um, we're, we're always, we're all trying to be blues traveler where the hook brings you back, right? Like <laughs> right. we just need somebody to get us there. No, I look, the promo department uh, has clout. I'll say that. It was pretty, I actually talked to it. Uh, to Jim about that. And he was laughing. He said, Oh, they love calling me as soon as, you know, when they spot me at a game, they get really excited. Hilarious. Uh, so, all right, no action for you, but, uh, any other predictions? Do you have any predictions for us? Uh, maybe a baseball prediction. Who wins the world series? We'll close on that. Man. Uh, I think it is going to be, I think, I think Tampa Bay is going to win. I think I think uh, Kevin Cash is an outstanding manager. I love the way they play angles. I very much am in for their intellectual curiosity. And I would take Tampa Bay. But I'm really glad those two teams are in the World Series. And that's nothing against anybody else. Although it is because we create a curve. Right? This is a bell curve. So, yeah. Like, I'm happy it's those two teams. It's going to be a, a heck of a series. And all of those other things that you're supposed to say, but I really am. I am thrilled that it's those two teams because I think it's going to be a fun juxtaposition. James, who's your prediction? Huh? Yeah, I guess I would have to go the Rays because they don't, haven't seemed like they're, uh, you know, falling apart at separate intervals at multiple points of the postseason already, yeah. like the, the Dodgers have. So that, that, that probably bodes well. I'm glad you asked a, a more general uh, baseball prediction question rather than like, me throwing like how many holds do you think Evan Marshall will have next year at Jason and <laughs> getting into a 10 minute debate about it. Hold over unders really enliven the crowd. Yeah. That's, that's a, <laughs> We're saving that show for a 18 to 34 demographic. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to go opposite you two and I'm going to take the Dodgers. I think this is, they finally break through. I thought it would have been kind of funny for the Astros to beat them again. Um, I know a lot of people do not agree with me on that take, but I thought it would have been hilarious for the Astros to beat the Dodgers again because uh, I like watching people melt down on Twitter, um, especially baseball writers. I mean, yeah, it'd be funny in the same way, like as the meteor is like closing on Earth, I would have some funny tweets that like got off, like as, as the shadows are forming above around my house. <laughs> is that, has that happened to you? <laughs> I'm I'm prepared for it. He's got a he's got a whole file of meteor uh, meteor tweets in his saved drafts. 
Yeah, and, and, and for the athletic real-time app as well. <laughs> well uh, I, I was about to ask what that is, but then I thought about what I said about the promo department having clout, and I rescind my almost question. <laughs> the real-time? You don't know what the real-time a- uh, option is? Oh, no, I know exactly what it is. Okay, it's, okay. it's fantastic. It's the best app I've ever had. Constantly <laughs> reading it. I do love the athletic, and I do, I do love... That I introduced Stony to the Athletic, and now he just knows it as like one giant paper. Oh, that's great! Does he print it out? Do you have like hotels print out stories? He so, like he somehow doesn't know what Zoom is or like how to use Zoom. But I'll come into the booth, and he'll be like clicking around the Athletic, and I'll see these bylines. I'm like, how did he get there? Oh, that's great! A lot of a lot of Premier League stuff. Oh yeah, huge huge Premier League fan, Steve Stone. Did I say it right? Is it Premier League? James, you're the expert. I, uh, shit. <laughs> All right. On that note, we're going to close it off. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. We'll, we'll can't wait to talk to you again next week when you come on. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate it. Are you, you going to tell everybody that I was scheduled for last week and then like news broke? <laughs> Yeah, right. That's what we should do. You know, and you know what's great about that is that morning I published my my very very long awaited for people. I'm sure Carlos Quinton in grad school story. <laughs> yeah, Ricky, I saw got, that. Ricky got fired two hours later. <laughs> I felt like, I felt like Lindsey Buckingham on what up with that <laughs> when you saw the Carlos Quinton story. <laughs> when I, yeah, no, that. when he got bumped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I see. Oh, sorry, Lindsey. We don't have time for you this week. Come back next week. Yeah, that's. Absolutely one of the best skits. One of my favorite. Now, if that skit doesn't make you smile, then you have problems. It's um to me, it's number number one, and I know we're closing up here, but I'd like your take on this. Okay. My favorite skit of all time is Dana Carvey doing Tom Brokaw. And he's doing a whole run of obituaries for Gerald Ford because he's going on vacation. And so <laughs> They're, they're like going through all these ways that Gerald Ford might die. And then it's like Gerald Ford is mauled by a circus lion in a convenience store. And he's like, well, well, what are the odds of that? And they're like, well, what do you want Stone Phillips to have the story? You're in Barbados. <laughs> like, it's amazing. <laughs> I, I'm sure I've seen that on the old. Remember the old VHSs, like the best of Dana Carvey. Oh, yeah. Live, or everyone, the Eddie Murphy one was always taken out of Blockbuster when you tried to get it because it was the best one. <laughs> nice. And that's the one we all like most of us may, you know, we didn't, I wasn't old enough to watch Eddie Murphy Saturday Night Live. So that's how I, you know, I learned about it. Yep. This is before Comedy Central or whatever. Um, that's good. I think one of my favorite ones with that is when um, one of my favorite Dana Carvey ones is when he did Perot and Bush in the debate and Sam and uh, Kevin Nealon was Sam Donaldson. And then you had, uh, and then Bill, you know, you had, uh, what's his name is Bill Clinton. Um that's probably one of my favorite political ones. You know which one I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. If, if Phil Hartman is Quentin, right? Yes. Phil Hartman. That's him, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah where he, they just were Ross pros talking about Arkansas. And he's just like, yeah, what are we talking about Arkansas for? It's just a bunch of Peckerwoods. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. All right. We'll have you back for more Saturday Night Live stuff. Um, Great. Next week. All right. Can't wait. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot to Jason Benetti for joining us. Uh, thank you for listening. Make sure to rate us highly. Share this with friends. Uh, maybe maybe listen to it on your porch with a big speaker. Anything to help the White Sox business brand. And we'll be back uh, soon. 
Thanks a lot. Bye.